0: You know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keeley Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come. In the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at KeeleyCompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire, He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. One of the Live Inspired seven questions we ask every one of our guests is this. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone living or deceased, who would you like to be seated next to? It's a question you've heard me ask a whole lot of guests. It's a whole lot of different answers that have come back our way. And yet you also, if you've been paying attention, know the most frequent answer we get is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., My friends, in my office, I have a podcast wall of folks that I've interviewed, a wall of my family right over my right shoulder, and then over to my left is a wall of individuals from throughout history who have changed the world for good through their lives. And one of those pictures that looks down at me every single day is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Well, today on the Live Inspired podcast, I have the honor of sharing with you the life story of his son, his name is Martin Luther King III, and Martin's wife, Andrea Waters King. They are dedicating to serving humanity as passionate leaders in the global fight against inequity, injustice, hate crimes, and all forms of pain. Throughout their lives, they have worked consistently on behalf of those who have been marginalized by helping those individuals find and then collectively use their voices for change. This is one of my favorite podcast recordings we have ever done, one because this family is so in love, because they're so passionate about raising a beautiful child and doing that work together. But also, you're going to hear insight to not only what led to that part of their journey today, but also you're going to hear the stories of Martin Luther King. You're going to hear the story of Coretta Scott King, an amazing example to the rest of us as we try to figure out how to work through crisis and challenges and difficulties and disappointments in our life. My friends, you're going to need a journal for this one. You're going to want a pen with an awful lot of ink in it because you're going to be moved, you're going to be inspired, and you are going to be confident once you leave that the best is yet to come. So let's bring them on to the Live Inspired podcast right now. Without further ado, Andrea and Martin, welcome, my friends, to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
1: Thank you. Thank you
2: for having us. Absolutely. We're honored to be able to share today.
0: It is an honor of a lifetime to bring you both onto our show. and, And you both are on some of the biggest stages, some of the biggest networks, some of the biggest television shows, radio programs in the country and in the world which means you're always being introduced by somebody else. And rather than me giving this long script about your bio today, I thought it might be really beautiful and really intimate for you to introduce one another to the Live Inspired audience. So Martin, would you take the lead and introduce that person to your side? Tell us a little bit about her and uh, a little bit about her bio. To
2: my right is my lovely wife and the mother of our child, Andrea Waters King. We met many years ago, been married officially 16 years. I think when I first met Andrea, I noticed a number of qualities about her that uh, sometimes it said that that men marry those who they feel are similar to their moms in the most positive way, not like somebody's mom who's guiding you, telling you what to do but who have a lot of attributes. She always resonated with this dignity and elegance. Mm. Fortunately, she and my mom had an opportunity to meet and they would go to the opera together because when she was 22 or so, when we met, she would go with my mom to the opera. And in fact, if you are coming to our home today, oftentimes classical music is one of the genres that sort of fills our home. So it it Mm -hmm. brings a certain kind of positive energy that really the the kind of the world needs. We have, of course, a 15-year-old daughter who's 15 going on 30. When you talk about a very unique partner, because we, for a number of years, we, we dated and we traveled around, but we just, maybe in the last... Five, four or five years began working together. Andre is the president of the Drum Major Institute, which is involved in working to create ultimately the beloved community. So part of what we hope to do is to infuse peace, justice, and equity in our society to eradicate the evils of poverty and bigotry, racism, and violence. We are a much better society than the behavior we are operating upon right now. Hmm. And Andrea's previous work was with an organization. One of my father's lieutenants was a gentleman by the name of Dr. C.T. Vivian. And Dr. Vivian founded an organization initially called the National Anti clan Network, which became the Center for Democratic Renewal. And what they did was monitored hate crimes. Mm. Andrea has the wonderful and, and distinct honor of pulling together back in the 90s, one of the first hate crime summits, and instead, at one time, various organizations were engaged in addressing hate crimes, but it was separately. For example, the African-American community, the NAACP, might be addressing black hate crime. The Arab community may be addressing Arab uh, crime. The Jewish community may be addressing anti-Semitic crime. Uh, But she brought over 200 organizations together and over 1,000 people for Uh, this particular hate crime summit. Uh, Mm. And actually, ironically, my mom was the speaker. So she's been involved in this work for for quite a while. The other person who was the co-founder of that was a woman by the name of Ann Brayton, a white woman in Kentucky. And my dad talked about her in the letter from the Birmingham jail about who she and her husband were and the kind of work that they did in the community. The letter from the Birmingham jail was 1963. So this, again... My wife and partner, the mother of our child, and my best friend and and really strongest supporter. I've I've had a lot of tragedy, many have, that's come into my life. First, my father, then my uncle. Many people don't know this. my, My grandmother in 1974 was gunned down and assassinated in the church while playing the Lord's Prayer. Later on, after meeting Andrea, I lost both. My two grandparents on my mom's side, I lost my couple of cousins and a number of people. And Andrea went through with me and the other family, all of these deaths with incredible strength. When you're going through trauma and and tragedy, you know you're going to get through it. But when you have a, a, a life partner who is there to lift you up, and make you feel like there's nothing in the world that you can't overcome. And that's what
0: she represents. One of the things, the many things that she represents to me. That was a beautiful love song. Audrey, you, you're, you're on the, the clock now. Would you do me the honor and do our audience the honor of introducing your partner, your friend, your spouse, and the gentleman to your left?
1: I have the immense privilege and honor to introduce my husband and the love of my life, Martin Luther King III. Martin, of course, is the eldest son, the second born of Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King in Montgomery. I think a lot of people forget that he and his eldest sister Yolanda were born in Montgomery in the midst of the Montgomery movement. And One of, I think, the greatest definitions of Martin literally came from one of his greatest mentors, which was Dick Gregory. And Dick Gregory, once in introducing Martin, captured his essence by saying that Martin literally walks within the sphere of peace and love. And that truly is how Martin leads and how he shows up in the world each and every single day. And I can't imagine a more admirable way of being Mm. and and a very strong way of being. I think sometimes we we often confuse what strength is and the amount of of strength that it takes to constantly lead with peace and with love is a tremendous example and who he is. Martin is extraordinarily funny, very humorous and an extraordinary father, husband, humanitarian, one of the most humble people you would ever meet. Most people don't know that Martin has worked on every, we at one time doing a retreat, he didn't do this because he wouldn't do it, but we went over all of the places in which Martin has done work on every single continent except for Antarctica. So if any of your listeners are in Antarctica and want to hear about, The eradication of the triple evils and how we can build a beloved community through peace, justice, and equity, you know where to look. But I say that to say that Martin has been on the forefront of doing the work without seeking the credit Mm -hmm. and continue whenever um, there's a need, which um, now there is more than ever, a voice that represents peace, justice, and equity, Martin has been there. And has worked in the communities all across the globe to continue in a very real sense um, the continuation of the dream of Martin Luther King Jr. and Credit Scott King. And although I I never met his father, I I have met his mother, as as he stated, but I feel unequivocally that they both would be so immensely proud of who he is and the path that he takes and, and the work that
0: he does. So I I have now 64 questions to get through in our time together and don't have a clue how we'll get through all of it. And I had originally planned to introduce you by the success of your impact and effect. Instead, I allowed and encouraged you to introduce one another and thank you for doing so. That was beautiful. That was so well done. And I'm so moved already. You both used the term Martin Luther King Jr., And uh, there's a picture of him hanging to my left, to your right, as you look at me right now, the, one of the questions on our, what we call the live inspired seven, I'll be asking you these questions at the very end is if you could choose anyone living or deceased to have a nice long conversation with on a gorgeous day, who would you want to be seated next to? And by far, we're now more than 600 episodes in by far the number one answer. Anybody want to guess? Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, This has been given by Democrats, by Republicans, by people who live and grew up in the United States, by people who were raised outside of the United States, by females, by gentlemen. Like, There's just this wonderful intersection of people united and galvanized and filled with hope because of your father. And we recognize, we've read the books, I hope, we've heard the speeches, but we just listened to it as bystanders later on in history. The voice who cast I Have a Dream Once said the words, go to bed. Once said the words, listen to your mother. Once said, brush your teeth and wash. He one time spoke those words to you, Martin. So um, very few of us know him as dad. I'm just like, could you give our listeners and viewers a feel for who your dad was as a man, as a father?
2: Well, quite frankly, that's one of the perspectives that I, I think am uniquely suited uh, to share because Dad was for us almost like our our buddy because he his intention he understood that I only have a short uh, amount of time I don't have a large quantity but I want to make the quality of time resonate with my children and so that meant that we often played together when he came home with the football in the front yard or sometimes basketball in the back or baseball that means. Teaching us how to play pool. We had a pool table. That means taking us to the YMCA and teaching us how to swim. He would go to the Y once a week, maybe even twice if, if he was in town. And my brother and I would accompany him. That means he didn't he didn't do any discipline except for maybe one time he attempted to. He had come home and I remember distinctly him walking up the last home that he lived in. We lived on one home for about five years from 1960 to 65. And then we moved in 65. And and of course he was killed in 68. So he lived almost two and a half years at the last address. And I remember him traveling. And when he came up the stairs to come into the home, it was as if he was Mr. Atlas. He had like an unsurmountable amount of, like he was pulling weights. And he looked like he was about to drop and fall. Somehow, when he when we he opened the door, we were like, "Daddy, Daddy's home!" Yeah, and you know, that energy shifted like hundred and eighty degrees. To all of a sudden, he it was like a propulsion of fuel was injected into him, and he was like, "Oh!" So he disseminated that love and energy, and, and wanted to do all he could for us. Now, that one time that we got in trouble, he was lying on the couch in our uh, living room, and he was had been exhausted. and somebody came up with a bright idea. It wasn't me, <laughs> but somebody said, you know, let's let's take some water and pour it in his ear.. Oh, gosh! <laughs> so you can imagine water coming in your ear. He jumped up and he, you know, acknowledged that we were there and then he ran after us, but he didn't whoop us. He didn't maybe he didn't catch us. I, I don't remember anymore. I just know I don't ever remember him ever disciplining us other than through his voice. Now, of course, mom was a disciplinarian, but dad, I mean, I remember an incident after church, after he preached on Sunday mornings, we would get our energy because uh-huh. sometimes when he was doing his preaching, we, we might be asleep, maybe, or sleep. Well, you know, he, I was 10 years old, so kid in, in church, and I'm subconsciously, I'm getting all of the message. Consciously, I was like, oh. <laughs> after the service, we would rip and run down the aisles, And he was greeting members. And I know at, at some point he'd look at my mom and they'd speak telepathically like you need to get those kids in order. <laughs> but, you know, we'd run up to older people. Hey, how you doing? Man? And and they were trying to kiss us and hug us. But, you know, you you're just full of energy. So and you, you got to burn that energy off as 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 a kid. And ultimately, obviously, you you go out of that, and then you go back and listen to these messages and realize how profound his messaging was. Whether I you know, I have a dream. Certainly, is the one that everyone knows. But there are maybe over a thousand sermons and messages that are so relevant to what we are going through today yes. that help us make it through life. But Dad was a dad
0: first. He, he loved his children and loved his wife. You, you mentioned he invested himself fully in us because he knew he may not have that much time. And I'm aware as a man that tomorrow's not promised. So I I love my kids differently. I try to show up for my wife a little bit differently. I try to do work a little bit more effectively. Like I try to be here, but what you're saying is very different than what I'm saying. What, What you're suggesting is he knew that his life was always hanging in the balance, that there were many people out to silence his voice So the the question to you is, why do you think he kept doing the work that he knew one day might end his life? There was
2: a quality of selflessness in the sense that if not me, then who? If not now, then when? And I remember mom sharing that he had said something, and my sister interpreted, my older sister, who was 12 when he was killed, does daddy not love us? And of course, mom quickly corrected her interpretation, only because I don't remember now, it's not coming to me right this moment, but he said something that made her feel like, and I think he was explaining why he was committed to this, this work. And it really ultimately revolved around, I've got to do this to make the world better for all of God's children. So this is a calling. It's a calling from God. It's not me just jumping out here on my own but I feel number one, this is the right thing to do. And this is what God wants me to do. I'm led to do this. And so if I don't do it, maybe something will happen to me. But Mm -hmm. if I do do it, certainly something could happen and ultimately it did. But I remember when dad was killed, uh, mom told us, your father is gone home to live with God. You'll be able to see him, but he won't be able to kiss and hug you as he often did. But one day, We will see him again. And God brings his servants from time to time home to rest. And it was time for your dad to rest. I mean, it was a great explanation for a 10-year-old kid, but yet still not understanding why. But it was sufficient at that
0: particular moment. On April 3rd, your father gives one of the most prophetic speeches, eulogies, man, of all time. It's a phenomenal Preview into where we are called to go, but also where he's going next. And he may not get there with us, but he knows where we are going. And we still have steps to take, but he knows that we're going to get there. The following day, he's murdered. And three or four days later, you find yourself not in your hometown, not at your father's funeral. That's going to be the following day. You find yourself with two of your siblings and your mom at a march in Memphis. When I think about the character of your mom, to uh, rise her children from bed and to bring them to Memphis with the the dignity with which she did it, man. It just, it, it overwhelms me. So would you tell our listeners why you and your family were in Memphis just three days after your dad was murdered there?
2: My father was to have led a demonstration in Memphis for the sanitation workers. What it, in retrospect, as a kid, I certainly wouldn't have necessarily understood all of that. But what it says is, you know, As my husband was committed to seeing this through, I also was committed. And although I wasn't physically there when he first went to Memphis, it is my responsibility. You can't just let the movement die because you tragically had tragedy to interfere with your life. In fact, Dad would have wanted her to do that. I think she was influenced by Harry Belafonte, who was also very close to Dad, that she ought to go... And she felt very strongly compelled to go and chose to take the three of us because she could have gone on her own. And th- that obviously made a profound impact on my life because, you know, as I thought about it, a man or a woman, no matter if no one had been apprehended uh, for the killing of our father and her husband. And yet, in spite of the potential danger, in spite of thinking about, I'm not thinking about me necessarily in my family, although we we know we'll be safe, we believe God would protect us, But or believed, but still, that still takes a lot of strength, of character, of resilience to go into an environment where no one had been captured. I remember the the Army, um, the National Guard, who surrounded us with these guns and bayonets when we landed in Memphis, and they were with us as we walked up the street. I don't know that I felt. Uh, I felt maybe intimidated, but I'm not sure that I felt like I was in harm's way. Mm-hmm. I felt protected, maybe even overprotected, and and I think that was probably a, a a good thing. But again, it was right at the most traumatic moment. And as you said, the next day we came, uh, and and had Dad's funeral services. And words, our organization called the Drum Major Institute. There was a sermon he preached February 4th of 1968 called The Drum Major Instinct. Yes. Where he did his own eulogy. A part of that speech, he talked about. I don't want to be really remembered for all the awards and accolades. I just want to be remembered as a committed human being uh, who tried to feed the the the, the hungry, clothe the naked, who, who 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 tried to create peace, justice, and equity for humankind. Those were the last words that people heard at the two funeral services mm-hmm. for that, Although there was a, a eulogist, Dr. Abernathy at Ebenezer, and Dr. Benjamin Mays, the president of Morehouse College where dad and I attended, uh, who was one of dad's mentors at Morehouse College at that ceremony. But the last words were dad's words, eulogizing himself.
1: And I I never thought about this, but I was reflecting as you were answering that question. And what came to me was from the verse from the Old Testament, you know, here comes that dreamer, Mm. let's slay him and then we Mm -hmm. shall see what will become of his dream. And it almost seems as if Coretta Scott King knew on that day that she felt the need to to show the world what would become of his dream. Mm. And that even in the face of immense loss and immense danger physically for her and her three older children, she wanted to answer that in the affirmative, that the dream that she and in turn all of us would have to continue the work of the dream, that the dream would not and could not be
0: lost. Andrea, we've been spending a bit of time on, on your partner and your friend and the father of your baby girl. But I, I do want to hear about you because Martin said in the past many times that the only person similar in character and dignity to his mother is his wife. That's high praise. So if you a few of us stumble into greatness all by ourselves. We we usually have people that are guiding us forward and loving us forward. So is is there an example for you, someone that you looked up to as a little girl that you wanted to be more like?
1: Certainly, I would say that, like Martin, I, I was immensely blessed by having within my home a tremendous example of service and love. And and that was in the person of my mom, um, Gladys Howard Waters, who passed away four, four years ago. But um, my God, a tremendous, tremendous person, tremendous spirit of love. She was the first Black nurse in her small hometown of Live Oak, Florida, and the way in which she served. I mean, she went from not only other nurses and doctors, but patients not wanting to be touched or treated by her. And wow. for her to never, and anyone that that knew my mom could attest to this, never walked in bitterness, um, always walked in service, not only in, in raising yeah. us in love, in the midst of the AIDS epidemic in the early '80s, she was the very first um, person to train other nurses and how to treat these patients with dignity and respect. At a time when those in, in the health industry didn't even want to touch or treat AIDS patients, she wrote, directed, and helped star in a video to show nurses of you know how how to treat AIDS patients with love and respect. She always volunteered. And it, it's not a, a overestimation. You know, very few people, I don't know anyone else almost, that I could say that anyone who ever came across her would not have anything but positive things to say about her. Mm. I, and and that's true of her. And there are very few people that people could say of that. So certainly, I think being so blessed to having been raised by her, it wasn't what it is certainly what she taught us, uh, my sisters and I, and what she said. But more importantly, it's how she lived. And she she lived she lived and taught talk, and talked
0: She looks like an, a, a remarkable woman. And typically, the fruit doesn't fall all that far from the tree. So I'm, I'm looking at another one right now. And you mentioned the term spirit of love, uh, which I'm feeling right now between the two of you as you sit side by side on this piano bench. So here we go. <laughs> talk about that spirit of love. When, when did you first recognize that this was the person for me and that we could do not only life, but work together?
1: <laughs> do you want to answer that first? No, no. He's talking we, oh, oh, we were <laughs> um, introduced actually on a, a blind date. He has a funny story um, to that. But once we, we met each other, it became, I think, abundantly clear that, you know, I, I certainly, after a few hiccups, which, you know, we, we won't go into because we only have a limited amount of time, but, you know, on the next podcast, we, <laughs> keep, we can go fully into the
0: story. After hours with the kids. Martin
1: almost missed <laughs> out. And the only thing that I can say is that when we finally, when we did, when we did connect is I did, for some reason, I I realized within a few minutes that truly that Martin was one of the best men that I had ever met in my life.
0: Mm. Martin, you already did a a raving introduction of your wife, but what what was it about this young, beautiful girl that you're like, you know what, this is the one. What did you see in her? What I saw was this mature,
2: elegant. She always was elegant. So I was always just kind of admiring who she was. And a lot of young people are not necessarily elegant. And I came to find out over time, that's just who she was. And it was like pulling me in slowly, in a sense.
1: And then eventually it got
2: like, you know, <laughs> well, I gotta get there. I have to, uh, there's, a, there's a longer story, but but the short story is, it was the intellect. I mean, I've always been attracted to um, anyone who brings an intelligence, and but it was it was beauty. It was character, tremendous integrity. And it was the maturity that you just, and and the perspective, the world perspective. And then the other thing is, I later on found out she was, you know, we get to a point where we sort of settle for certain things. She is always working on improving herself. And she was doing that from day one. And that's another way because, you know, at some point, her improving herself is going to help me and motivate me to do more as well. Not at some point, it always has.
0: But those are some
2: other things.
0: When your father passed away, when he was murdered, he had, I think, about a 33% acceptance rate in the United States. About a third of the citizens supported what your father's voice and his dream stood for. It would be hard pressed to find anyone today who does not. And I'm curious when it comes toward the day where he was murdered or toward his birthday or toward other anniversaries that are meaningful for the family. And you see everybody on every side of the aisle, every side of every single issue posting their little memes and their quotes from your dad. Today, how does that make you feel? Certainly it is a very positive
2: feeling. I think the challenge becomes... Sometimes people ascribe things to his words that that's not what he meant or said. His dream and vision was to come and elements of it have come true. But unfortunately, a substantial part of it has still not yet. Again, it doesn't mean we won't achieve it. It means we just have not thus far. And so humankind has to continue to work to get to the point where the dream can be realized Mm so it is wonderful that so many people around the world look at and are inspired by his example and by his words but we shouldn't get to the point my wife always says this where we're just idolizing martin Luther king jr it is embracing those ideals and executing them you know an idol you just put it on a shelf and put it away and and when a special day comes, you pull it down off the shelf and maybe dust it off. But then when that moment is over, you put it back on the shelf. Right. He would not have wanted any of us to idolize him. He would want us to embrace and execute the ideals that he have had that ultimately create the beloved community.
0: Andrea, I've, I've heard you say that we're not after collective guilt. We're after collective responsibility. Tell me what you mean by that.
1: Um, I think that particularly over the last few years, starting with, in a lot of ways, the, the racial awakening and reckoning in this country in, in 2020, they're also almost at the exact same moment they are, they bec- there was an inevitable backlash. And Martin's father talked about this, that whenever there's any type of progress, there is always an inevitable backlash. And in that, there has been even attacks on on history or, or what you know should we teach or not teach, and and I think that is it's just incumbent upon all of us that yes, that we all certainly have to be quite clear of where we are now, but we also have to be informed and know of how we got to where we are, and in knowing that, you can't guilt anyone. And I think sometimes also, particularly in communities, white communities, just to understand that talking about history is not about guilting people that are here now. You know, I, I think very few people, when you're talking about history, you know, want to do it out of, of a sense of guilt. I think that it's very important to understand that knowing and moving forward together is about a collective responsibility amongst all of us. And, and and that also is based on one of the, the tenets of nonviolence that um, Martin's father and his team utilize is, at its very core, the, the nonviolence understands the interconnectedness of humankind. That is the common philosophy, that is the foundational philosophy of, of Martin Luther King Jr., is for us to all understand that in some strange way that we still all don't understand. We all are, in fact, interconnected. We all are, in fact, brothers and sisters. And when we understand all of that, we should look at how we all move forward in a way of being responsible, not being guilty to each other, but being responsible to each other. That is how we create true brotherhood and and sisterhood.
0: The Drum Major Institute. Would, would you tell our listeners a little bit more about the work that you and they are part of?
1: Um, the Drum Major Institute is, it actually was started in the late 60s and, and, set, and has had several iterations. It actually was helped co-founded by Martin's father in a way to help raise money for those that were involved within the civil rights movement. As Martin said, his father talked often about the triple evils of um, racism. Of course, we say now racism and bigotry because we understand that they're the same coin, just different sides. So the triple evils of racism and bigotry, of violence and of poverty. And what we believe is that you're always stronger being for something rather than against. And we know that the true way of creating the beloved community, the true way of eliminating. Those triple evils that Martin Luther King Jr. challenged us to eliminate is through embracing quite easily peace, justice, inequity. So our mission is the elimination of the triple evils of, of that Martin Luther King talked about through embracing peace, justice, inequity. And, and ultimately, for and once we do that, we will create um, his vision of a beloved community.
0: Mm. So we're all in on the macro side of this, like, yes, and racism and yes, equality for all. And like, those are taglines that we can put up high on, on, on a flagpole, help an individual listening right now who agrees with that and recognizes the need for that, but isn't sure where to begin that. So if, if I'm listening in my car or while, while I'm working out or poolside or wherever else I might be hearing your voices today, what is one thing that I can do? So not shrug it off and wait for someone else or, gosh, I hope the next uh, politician gets it done, man. Let's do it right. But what is something that we as individual human beings can do to take the next right step forward to begin creating this beloved community?
1: I think one of the things is that we made it easy for you and we have several initiatives, several programs. I mean, everything is not a fit for everyone. We recognize that. But I would encourage all of that are listening to to educate themselves about the Drum Major Institute and Drum Majors for Change and the work of Martin Luther King III and Andrea Waters King and our daughter Yolanda Renee King, who happens to be the only grandchild of Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King. So you know, certainly get them see if see if some of the things that we're doing is in alignment and become involved in that way. And also, it's always so fascinating to me how very few people have truly studied Martin Luther King Jr. It almost is like, he's like a buffet and people everyone samples him without looking at the entire feast. And so I certainly would encourage those to really study, study him, read his books, look at, there's a beautiful documentary from the 70s, Montgomery to Memphis. So for those that are more, you know, because we all are different ways of learning and different ways of savoring, but look at Montgomery to Memphis documentary and, and truly understand
2: And and let me just add one or or two quick things, because I think we have the greatest results when we look at what speaks to us. So one has to determine what's important to you. Is it the environment, which is important really to all of us? Is it, you know, children's issues around bullying? What can I do around bullying? How do do we address that? Is it the drug plague and problem? That's a huge problem in our nation with fentanyl and other drugs that, tragically people dying from every day. And when we find out what is our calling, I mean, you know, the, the, the old saying is, you must do your job so well that the living, the dead, and the unborn could do it no better. What you'll find is because of social media, there's a community, every all on, online, there are communities that are already addressing these issues. And It's important to decide, I want to join on, I want to work on this issue because, uh, you know, if it's criminal justice, that's a a no. And and there are zillions of issues. Mm -hmm. It really is deciding and honing it down for you. What every day can you wake up and feel excited about doing? And it's really just a little bit. It's not a, a, you, you don't have to move the envelope and totally down the road. It's just doing a little something. If all of us were doing a little something, tomorrow we would have a better world. The problem is we're not centrally focused. We're focused on all kinds of different things that distract us. We've got a first, the, the first issue is focus. Focusing on what you want to do. We do have a blueprint for nonviolence. We have a blueprint for coexistence. We have a blueprint for engaging in love and forgiveness. All of that we have, but there are other things that people may want to do specifically, and you just got to find out what it is that speaks to you.
1: And I'm I'm reminded too of that old story that changed just a little bit, but you know, there was an, an old grandmother um, that was sitting down in a village and her granddaughter came up to her and said, grandmother, I, I really, I really need your help because there's this war going on inside of me. There's these two wolves and there's a wolf of of hatred and anger and bitterness. And then there's also a a wolf of peace and love and, and they're at battle and I'm just not sure which one will win, can you please help me? And the grandmother looked at her and said, very simply, the wolf in which you feed. And I think that each one of your listeners every single day has to, we all have a choice. Which wolf are we feeding at a time when our nation and our world, when we're more divided than ever? Every single day, are you feeding the wolf of hatred and separation of racism and bigotry and violence or and poverty, or are you an indifference? Or are you feeding the wolf of Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King of peace, of love, of justice, of equity? of brotherhood and sisterhood, not in which we're all the same, but in which we're all respected and seen for our differences.
0: You both have every reason in the world, if you desire, to feed the wolf of anger and indifference and sadness and uh, just fury, and you seem to continually feed the wolf of unity, and faithfulness and togetherness and peace and ultimately forgiveness. And it's that last word. I just want to hover on before I put in front of you two quotes that you gave me, and then we'll move to the finish line, which turns out to be the starting line together. So the question is forgiveness. I know it's so deep and we could spend three podcasts and and, and run out of time. If we even did three of them on this piece, but with all that you've lost along the way and all the, all the hate that you've faced And the disappointments that you've experienced, what frees you to remain forgiving of one another? Marriage is hard. Of your parents, of those who know you well and those who have never met you but have judgment over you, what keeps you forgiven in your world? How do you keep feeding that wolf?
2: I think it's, it's foundation. And it's foundational to who, you know, who we are. When I was a kid, I lost my father. Uh, in front of the eyes of the world. And yet, and my mother lost her, my siblings and I lost a father, my mother lost her husband. But the world gained a message and a meaning of what a movement that is positive can do to transform it. And it would have, I certainly, you know, I lost my uncle a year later, mysteriously drowning. I lost my grandmother in 1974. Again, to an assassin's bullet, and i'm I'm so thankful that I was exposed to it was taught and reinforced the concept of forgiveness. You dislike the evil act, but you still love the individual. Mm. and that was uh, that that it's a lifetime process. And whenever I see individuals who come to the table, if you think about, I remember most recently. The death of Tyrie Nichols, the beating death in Memphis. Four black police, five black policemen. There were others involved, but those five were primarily ones. And the mom came and she said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm ashamed of what you did. You tore my heart apart. You took my baby. You should be embarrassed, but I'm gonna still pray for you. Now, when you see that reinforced, and it happens through a lot of circles, not just there. I mean, in fact, all of the mothers, by the way, who have been killed, sons have been killed through police brutality and misconduct. Most of them starting with Sabrina Fulton and Trayvon Martin. If you look at, they they lost their children, but they they became positive forces to engage in some kind of positive movement to make change. It's just interesting to me if, if I look at that. But those are the kind of things that reinforce what I learned, you know, 40, 50, uh, 55, maybe. I mean, it was taught in my home. Yes. Then I had an experience that, okay, now we got to live this. And I saw my, my mother and I saw my aunts and uncles and my grandparents say, I refuse to allow any man to reduce me to hatred the man that killed my lovely wife, nor the man that killed my son. I refuse to allow even them to reduce me to hatred. I love everyone, I'm every man's brother. So I had a visible example. Everybody may not have an example, but it was reinforced by my surroundings. And so I chose to to embrace and and, and adopt that. And I believe, dad said, darkness can't put out darkness, only light can do that. Violence can't stop out violence, only love and nonviolence can do that. Those things were true when he said them. They will be true universally forever, in my opinion.
1: And one of the practical things that I do is we talk a lot about, I, I'm a big journaler and there's a, I, I do a gratitude list every day. And I've also started recently doing a forgiveness list every mm. day. Mm. So That's I consciously right. write down, you know.
0: Martin Luther King three. Boom. Yeah, under, yeah that, well, my, he's on there my. someday.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I'll write down, you know, like those that or situations that come top of mind that that I need that I know I need to forgive or want to forgive or that I have, you know, and I'll write, write, write them down and say, God bless them. Some names are staying on there, stay on there for a minute. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but again, it's like a physical, you know, like so that I know um, of something that
0: that I do. So I'm going to share a quote that I've written down from both of you. It moved me, and I'd like you to unpack it for our community, and then we'll step into the Live Inspired 7. So here we go. Andrea, you're first with this beautiful quote. Civilization is a race between education and catastrophe.
1: We have to understand that civilization, and by that I also mean democracy, is not a finished um, project. It's an ongoing um, experiment and that we have to choose. It it is really a choice between those two things of how civilization and therefore democracy will unfold.
0: And Martin Luther King III, be ashamed to die until you want a victory for humanity. You first saw this on a statue when you're holding your mother's hand. I think you were 14 years old. Mm -hmm. What did that mean to you when you were 14? And what does it mean to you today? Well, back at 14, it meant, how do you do this? How do you accomplish it? It just
2: seems too monumental. And so after three or four or five experiences going to Antioch College and seeing that quote of Horace Mann, I broke it down. I said, you know, we can win a victory in our neighborhood. We can win a victory in our school. We might win victories in our places of worship. Some may win victories in our city. Some may win victories in our state. Some in our nation. And yet others maybe will win victories in our world. But all those words mean really are be ashamed to die until you've done a little something to make the world in which you live a little better than it was when you arrived. Mm. That's To me, that means that everybody can do something. It's easy to understand if you have a corporation. You're impacting. You could be impacting You know, a thousand employees or ten thousand, but you got to decide what is the small thing. What can I do to make a difference in a world that I don't feel is currently moving in the right direction? The universe, by the way, moves forward. We as humankind temporarily choose sometimes to move backward, but at some point, because the universe is going forward, we all have to go forward, and. I kind of look at it in, in in that way. And I know that all of us can do a little something to make the world better than it was when we arrived.
0: So we have seven questions that have tethered all of our mighty guests together. And I'm excited to ask them of you now. We'll ping pong back and forth. Andrea, here we go. What, what's been the most inspirational, the most impactful or the best book you've ever read?
1: Oh my gosh, that's the hardest. I am an avid, avid reader. I mean, I literally have hundreds. We have library of, of books. So I that is extraordinarily difficult. But oh my gosh, if I had to drum it down, I would say certainly out of Martin Luther King's books, I would say Knock at Midnight because it's his sermons Or Strength to Or oh, Strength to Love, yeah. yes.
0: Thank you. Martin, what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little boy that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today?
2: Wow, I think it was more curiosity, curiosity. I was curious, more curious. Not that I'm not, I've refined it to a different level, but I, you know, as a kid, you just everything is. I mean, I wanted to be a pilot, I wanted to be a bus driver, I wanted to be. Um, a fireman. I wanted even to be a policeman. I mean, it wasn't anything that I, but I was curious. Mm-hmm. That's what until I figured out, okay,
0: no, this is what I wanted. Andrea, if your home caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity of running back into that house safely and grabbing one thing, one item, one possession, what would you race back out with?
1: I think it would be after my mom passed away, my sister's Found in in some of her papers, some a uh, uh, a report that I did when I was I don't know in second grade, and it's you know our our daughter takes tremendous delight in it because she you know even now she's like oh that sounds like you you know it's like I like to dress up like a lady, so <laughs> I think I would um, take that because it, it reminded me of 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 that little girl,
0: <laughs> Martin. This question has been asked 600 and at least four times, and it has been answered frequently Martin Luther King Jr., but I'll ask it of his son right now. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anyone living or deceased, who would you like to be seated next to?
2: That's a hard one for me because it obviously would be family, right? I did not have intimate strong conversations with my father. I missed, I mean, he didn't get to see me graduate from high school or college and to marry, you know, my, my best friend and, and the lover of my life. Mm. And so, you know, I I often say there's a couple of people because I, I certainly would love to sit down with uh, Nelson Mandela. I met him, but I didn't get to really talk to him. But again, I didn't get to talk to my dad. I'd love to have adult conversations with my father. Sometimes I have dreams about that.
0: Thank you. That's a a beautiful answer. And one for any of us who have lost our parents too early, we can identify with. What's the best advice you've ever received, Andrea? Hmm
1: that if you imitate others the only, the best that you will ever be was a great imitation of a great person. So for you to to find yourself and be your best. So be 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 the only original that you can be. Be be you.
0: She does that well. <laughs> Martin save it for the next podcast man. We need a re- we need to keep people coming back for more. That's the after hours with the kings. <laughs> What Martin? What would you tell your twenty-year-old self if you could go back in time a couple years and whisper some wisdom to yourself at age twenty? What would it be? Get married early, Andrea, his wife. (laughs) I hear you. You're pointing that, her just so the folks who are listening
2: know that. Met Andrea and married her early. We
1: dated for ten years. Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> the seventh question, it, and it tethers all of our guests together. I'd love to ask it up both of you. And we'll start with Andrea is this. It has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read?
1: She persevered.
0: Ooh. Martin, it has been said that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read? He personified resilience. She persevered. He personified resilience. And they continue to remind us of the dream that their father had and that we still should pursue together. I want to thank you both for your time and your work and your words and your impact.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for all that you do as well.
0: My friends, that is Andrea Waters King. Seated next to her is Martin Luther King III. My name is John O'Leary, and today is your day. What a gift. Live inspired. Well, I told you on the very front side of the conversation with Andrea and Martin that you were going to love the conversation. You were going to be moved by the conversation. You were going to be inspired by the conversation And that you were going to want to take notes during the conversation. You may even run out of ink taking those notes during the conversation. I almost did. I am lucky enough, though, that I was able to write down this little takeaway. Hopefully you wrote it down, too. Upon learning that her husband had just been murdered, that the father of her children had been murdered, that she would not spend the rest of the life without her loved one, her Martin, how did his mom react And it was with grace, it was with forgiveness, it was with dignity, it was with courage, and it was with the expectation that the dream that her husband had would not be silenced by some coward, by some murderer. So Coretta Scott King loaded those children onto an airplane, flew into Memphis, and led the march to remind the rest of us that the dream would not be silenced. My friends, in a world that is as broken and as tumultuous and as divided as ours is right now, that idea of peaceful, confident, faithful determination to step on, I think that is one of my main takeaways from this beautiful conversation with these two examples of it. Today's interview with our friends Martin Luther King III and Andrea Waters King would have been impossible without an introduction from one of our fellow podcast guests and one of my dear friends. His name is Dr. Art McCoy. Dr. Art McCoy is an incredible example of what we teach around here at Live Inspired. He is radical. He is joyful. He is faithful. He is spirited, but he's also practical. He's an example to the rest of us. And if you want to learn more about his story and his resiliency and how he has changed the lives of others for good, well, then check out the full conversation with this mighty man. You can learn more about Art McCoy at episode 266 on the Live Inspired podcast channel or by cruising right over with me right now to John O'Leary Inspires.com forward slash podcast. That's where you can learn more about all the work we're doing within this podcast channel and within this community. So family, friends, leaders, and servants for this time. And until next time, my name is John O'Leary. Today is your day. What a gift. Live inspired. Helians were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations, about those amazing friends, by visiting them online at keelycompanies.com.